So Bitcoin falls 11% after reports suggest a critical flaw in the cryptocurrency called double spend may have actually occurred. So Bitcoin fell as much as 11% on Thursday, hitting its lowest level in nearly three weeks as the popular cryptocurrency was hit with a double whammy that jolted faith in its user base. And Jeanette Yellen, President Joe Biden's nominee for Treasury Secretary, suggested during her confirmation hearing on Tuesday that lawmakers curtailed the use of Bitcoin because of its use in illicit activities, but as we all know, so does the U.S. dollar. And second, a debunked report from BitMEX Research on Wednesday suggested that a critical flaw called double spend had occurred in the Bitcoin blockchain. So double spend is when someone is able to spend the same Bitcoin twice. Basically, think of it like someone gives you a dollar and you're able to spend that exact same dollar in two different locations at the exact same time, right? So it is a feared and dire scenario for the digital asset. And the blockchain was thought to have solved the issue when Satoshi Nakamoto published the Bitcoin white paper back in 2009. Which, I mean, imagine if you actually bought Bitcoin back in 2009. You'd be uh, pretty super rich. So the early attempts to launch a digital cash system was ultimately halted by vulnerabilities that could have enabled double spending and undermined faith in the system. So BitMEX Research tweeted that it appears as if a small double spend of around 0.00062063 Bitcoin, or $21, was detected. BitMEX later said it appeared that the double spend was actually an RBF transaction, which is when an unconfirmed Bitcoin transaction is replaced with a new transfer payment, new transfer paying a higher fee. But... BitMEX's fork monitor said that no RBF fee bumps have been actually detected. BitMEX said in another tweet, a transaction in the Illusion chain sent a 0.00062063 Bitcoin to the address, which I won't say because it's just way too long, and a transaction in the winning chain which spent the same inputs only sent 0.00014499 Bitcoin to this address. So ultimately, the double spend event did not actually occur. According to Bitfinex CTO Paolo Ardinio in an email sent to Insider, Ardinio explained, in fact, what happened is that two blocks were mined simultaneously. As a consequence, there was a chain reorganization, which did not result in double spending. And some people may not know this because of the whole FOMO thing where People ended up buying Bitcoin because they don't want to miss out. They're like, oh, this is going to make me super rich. Let me just buy it, right? The thing is, Bitcoin is quite literally mined by the processing power of computers, right? So many people may not know that, but basically you could literally create farms, like basically computer farms that will farm Bitcoin, it will basically just mine Bitcoin constantly 24-7. Because basically it solves mathematical equations and formulas to basically mine a Bitcoin. And as time goes on, it gets harder and harder to mine a single Bitcoin. So this is why Bitcoin ends up getting increasingly expensive. This also is why there's only a certain amount that will ever be created. 
there's like a whole process to it. Many people do not understand Bitcoin at all. They just think of it as like, oh, it's a way for anyone to just go and potentially get rich, which is not the case. I mean, you could definitely get rich, but I don't like people investing into something when they don't understand it at all. And you might know some people like this where they just decide to put a whole bunch of money into this because they just see this raise of like 10%, 20%, or 500% in a couple of weeks or a year, all that kind of stuff, right? And like seeing that stuff is pretty hard to... It's pretty hard to stomach, right? Because you should never put money into something that you have basically no knowledge of, right? Whether it be cryptocurrency or anything else. Like you got to really understand what it is. Now the thing to also understand, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is also viewed by the government, the United States government, as a capital asset. So they view it as a real currency, whether they want to admit it or not technically, right? They view it as a viable currency. And so meanwhile, institutional investors continue to gain exposure to Bitcoin. So filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission on Wednesday said BlackRock had enabled two of its mutual funds to invest in the cryptocurrency, which is very interesting. And honestly, wouldn't be that bad of an idea. Like, for instance... Let's say that you're building up an investment portfolio, right? Personally, the best types of things to really invest in would be real estate, index funds, right? That basically invest into the whole top 500 index fund or top 500 stocks, basically. Kind of like SPY or like, you know, the SPY, right? Or a mutual fund that basically trades all of the stock market. Or a little bit of cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is basically a hedge against assets by countries, right? Because cryptocurrency, Bitcoin can work against, you know, the Korean dollar. I don't really know the won, I believe, Y-U-A-N. It can also work against the U.S. dollar. It can work against the Australian dollar. It can work against the Canadian dollar, right? Because it's basically a different form of transaction that is not necessarily tied to any of these currencies. But if a country's currency is going down, specifically the United States currency is going down, the value of it, Bitcoin would be actually worth a little bit more. Now, you also got to understand, too, that the government owns a lot of cryptocurrency. The government owns a lot of Bitcoin. They also stole a lot of Bitcoin from Silk Road. So there's a lot of things to really understand about the whole cryptocurrency space. You shouldn't really invest into it if you want to become like private with your money, but it does give you a lot of control of your money. It gives you a lot of control over your assets, but you should not put all of your money into cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, ETH, Ripple, all that kind of stuff, right? Out of like a whole portfolio, it makes sense to put like 5 to 10% into cryptocurrency, especially if you don't understand it too much. Like if you just want to basically diversify your investing, 5 to 10% really isn't that bad as long as 
a lot of your investments are into like index funds and real estate because real estate, depending on the location, obviously will pretty much always increase in value. And the stock market has shown over time that pretty much no matter what, the stock market as a whole will increase in value. So that's why not doing anything too complicated with your investing is probably the most ideal method. For example, you could do just index fund investing, right? You could just do like an ETF of the S&P 500 and like basically set like a monthly amount that you automatically invest into that and just completely forget about it. And then you can also invest into rental properties. And then you can also just invest into Bitcoin. You can literally just choose Bitcoin as the only cryptocurrency that you end up investing in. And you just do that like on a monthly basis, which you could actually technically do on Coinbase in the description below. And you could also get a small amount of free cryptocurrency, small amount of free Bitcoin from investing to there. And you could also get a stock worth up to $500 from Robinhood down below as well. But all these different investing apps that you can invest into cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, stocks, all that kind of stuff, you can automatically set investings on a monthly basis, right? So if you get your budget down in a pretty like specific amount, you could easily manage or budget for automatic investing, basically make it like the very first thing that you do before you even pay your bills. Like you just automatically invest you're like a portion of your paycheck into index funds, real estate, and cryptocurrency. And by real estate, could potentially just be your house, right? Although, obviously, it would be nice to actually have a rental property. By the way, there's different ways to end up growing your money. And doing the least complicated ways to grow your money is typically the best, right? For example, if you just did like the monthly investing automatically for like, in the beginning of uh, 2020, you could probably actually have made like a hundred grand in just in 2020, which is pretty crazy when you really think about it. So the PA woman accused of stealing a laptop from Pelosi's office during the whole Capitol riot fiasco released to home confinement, which, you know, I haven't read this story yet, but that's pretty interesting that that's pretty much the only thing that she that she got according to this headline, right? And according to this, Raleigh June Williams' ex-boyfriend told FBI she'd sell laptop to Russia, an attorney says. So a Pennsylvania woman accused of stealing a laptop from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office as rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol was released to home confinement Thursday. But the defense attorney representing 22-year-old Riley June Williams, or RJW, argued in Harrisburg Federal Court that her client's allegedly abusive ex-boyfriend exaggerated when he called an FBI tip line, claiming that Williams intended to have the laptop sold off to a Russian spy agency. Magistrate Judge Martin Carlson ordered Williams to be released to home confinement without bond. She is to be fitted with GPS monitoring and must surrender her passport. Her travel is restricted to the Middle District of Pennsylvania, 
with exceptions for other court appearances in the districts of Maryland and Washington, D.C. She had been held at Dauphin County Prison since her arrest on Monday. So I want to note for you that one of the reasons you're going home today is because in a desperate time in the glare of public scrutiny, your mother has stepped forward and promised to serve as a third-party custodian. Carlson said, referring to the defendant, your mother is making an enormous leap of faith on your behalf. Williams did not contest to probable cause or to the charge of theft of government property. Her public federal defender, Lori Ulrich, refuted the idea that Williams had tried to flee authorities, instead arguing that she was dealing with an abusive ex-boyfriend against whom she fought a restraining order and, at the advice of a police officer, she had therefore changed her phone number. It is regrettable that Ms. Williams took the president's bait and went inside the Capitol. However, based on our initial investigation and preparation for today, it is our position that the allegations surrounding the theft of Speaker Pelosi's computer came in part from a former abusive boyfriend, Witness 1, who is in the Affidavit of Probable Cause, Ulrich told the judge. He has threatened Miss Williams in a number of ways, including she fought a restraining order against him. He was going to go after her, and these accusations are overstated. Williams, who reportedly turned herself in before her arrest Monday, which was initially charged with knowing entering or remaining in an, any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority, violent entry, and disorderly contact conduct on capital grounds. Now, the thing is, right, I highly doubt that she was ever actually planning on selling this to a Russian spy agency. I mean, that's a pretty big stretch for, like, really anyone, right? Like, how would she get a hold of a Russian spy agency? Who on earth would she actually know, right? I think she was just basically some stupid kid that did something stupid because she assumed something that potentially the president said or implied that they probably should have done. And look, no one really likes Nancy Pelosi, but that doesn't mean you should go steal her laptop, right? Like that's just acting like, you know, that like that is acting like a very stupid kid and just acting out right against someone that you don't like. And again, a lot of people don't like Nancy Pelosi because she makes everything so political, right? And she's very open about her being super political and doing things for pure political reasons, right? For example, the stimulus checks, right? She specifically basically admitted that she prevented it from passing easily because she didn't want it to be passed under Trump, which what I see is like, that's just wrong. Like, regardless of who you like or you don't like, if you're trying to help the people, help the people regardless of who's going to get credit for it, right? So theft of government property and obstruction charges were added Tuesday. An amendment statement of facts submitted in court that day cites an unnamed witness identified as Williams' former romantic partner who called an FBI tip line after seeing footage online of a woman he believed to be Williams inside the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And of course, this is the image of her 
potentially being there, right? That when his also told investigators, Williams intended to send the laptop stolen from Pelosi's office to a friend in Russia, who then planned to sell the device to the SVR, Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service. The court documents state, according to the witness, the transfer of the computer device to Russia fell through for unknown reasons and Williams still has the computer device or destroyed it. The current whereabouts of the laptop remain under investigation, the document states, and its location was not discussed in court Thursday, reported. So this is going to be pretty interesting as to uh, what happens, right? Because obviously she's accused of actually doing this, right? She hasn't necessarily admitted to it. She's being accused of this. It'd be interesting to see what happens in this specific situation. So if she did do this, she could probably face some time because it is government property. If for some crazy reason she ends up actually have tried to sell it to basically a Russian spy agency, that'd be pretty uh, destroying for her in the sense that uh, that's that's pretty serious, right? Like, because stealing a government property is one thing, but stealing a government property and then trying to sell U.S. secrets, that goes to, like, a whole nother level, right? And I believe that's on the verge of being, like, an espionage type of situation, and that's pretty troubling, right? Now, do I think that should probably need to be like smacked around with that no i think that'd be kind of like over the top i think she's again just a stupid stupid kid and did this for pretty much no reason right like there wasn't really a real reason for her to actually do something like this like my way of thinking right and this type of situation is what would someone gain right what would someone gain from stealing a laptop, specifically Nancy Pelosi's? Well, you could like spread some dirt that she like secretly told other people about. Maybe you could do like some like you could ruin. Well, you could probably plan kind of heinous things by understanding people's emails and stuff. But at the same time, what would a twenty-two-year-old really do with the house of the Speaker of the House's? Uh, Laptop, right? Because depending on what it is, what is on it, and apparently Nancy Pelosi said that she's not really too worried about anything that's actually on that specific laptop. Like, what would someone even do? What would they really gain, right? Because I don't see any real benefit in doing something like this, right? Like, you're not really going to gain anything. It was super risky. You were obviously videotaped in a riot. Like, I don't see any good that would have came from actually just stealing a laptop. And the problem that I see is that there's going to be so many people in this riot that was there that their lives are going to be damaged to almost un like an unrepairable level. Right? Like, there's so many people getting doxxed that were at this riot. There's so many people being put on no fly lists, 
right from this riot. Like there's a lot of damage being done surrounding this riot. And I bet you she's not going to be the biggest story from this situation. I bet you there's going to be something coming out later on that's probably be something absolutely insane, right? And again, it literally <laughs> did nothing, right? It didn't do nothing for Trump if they were actually Trump supporters, right? It did literally nothing for him. Joe Biden still was inaugurated. Like, it literally solved nothing. It literally did nothing. There was no purpose to it. There was no point. And it literally meant nothing, right? Like, just a few days after this, right? This whole riot situation literally meant nothing. So it's going to be interesting to see what the future is going to hold for this situation. Like, I just don't understand what's the benefit for this. I don't know what's going to happen to her. I don't think she's going to get a slap on the wrist at all. But I highly doubt that she actually was planning on selling it to a friend in Russia. That is something that I highly, highly doubt. But that doesn't mean that she's not going to serve time in like prison for stealing a government property. Pretty cool story that I want to read, right? Article, right? And it's from Millennial Money from CNBC, right? How a 29-year-old built a career and two side hustles that earn her $158,000 a year, which is amazing. That's an amazing income for someone only 29 years old. So let's like read into it. And feel free to just sit back and listen, right? So Destiny Adams doesn't believe in off days. The 29-year-old entrepreneur's schedule is always jam-packed from producing YouTube videos in the mornings to taking inventory for her salon in Grand Rapids, Michigan in the afternoons. At 6 p.m., she begins her shift as a child welfare specialist for the state of Michigan, working until 2.30 a.m. five days a week. Yeah, I would not do that. <laughs> I can't. Huh? There's no way I'll be working until 2.30 a.m. five days a week. But the thing is, when does she actually get up? I don't know. I don't know when she gets up, but this is pretty nuts, right? So she's a YouTuber. She owns her salon. Well, I don't know if she actually owns her salon, but she works at a salon, right? And she does stuff for being a child welfare specialist, right? This is so crazy. There's so much stuff to do. So it's a lot to manage, but Adams revels in the hustle. As of December 2020, Adams had three main income streams. The full-time job with the state, which pays around $60,000 plus benefits. The Destite Hair Collection, her small business selling wigs and hair extensions and running a salon, which netted her $86,000 in 2020. That is so cool. And a YouTube business consulting channel, which brought in an additional $12,000. You know, you got to give props, like you got to clap for her piece. That is so amazing. And with that work schedule, she's got to like be like grinding her bones to the ground. But to have this hustle is so amazing, right? Because I've met people 
that literally couldn't wake up on time and simply work a nine to five job, like just show up on time and work a nine to five job. I've met people like this, and they just could not even work a job. So she has three jobs, which is crazy. Right and just staying so busy. Like I wonder what these people do to like have this energy every day. Because like Jesus, I drink so much energy drinks, and I don't have this kind of energy, right? So you should have multiple streams of income because it helps you live the life that you want to live. Adam says, if something happens with my state of Michigan employment, I also have the salon. That's right. If something happens with the salon, then I have my YouTube income. That's also right. And if something happens with my YouTube income, then I have my personal brand. That is also correct. Her side hustles provide the financial peace of mind she didn't have growing up. Adam's father was killed when she was less than a year old, and her mother, Wilhelmina Phillips, worked a graveyard shift at a factory while raising three kids on her own. And I got to say, you got to give props to single mothers and also single fathers out there because raising kids on your own must be so hard to do. Like, just, can you imagine that? Like, you literally got, like, little humans and you have to take care of them day in and day out. And they're, like, little half versions of you. So they have the bad parts of you as well. So it's like, oh, Lord, imagine if you had a whole bunch of minimes around you. And you got to take care of them. So the family lived in income-based housing in Grand Rapids. And while her mother did her best to provide for her children, Adam says she didn't have a financial role model growing up. Instead, she saw her grandmother struggle in retirement without enough savings to live on. And her mother didn't have an investment account at all. The money wasn't discussed in her household. Adams didn't want to struggle the same way. And also, Destiny Adams joined the National Guard in 2012, right? So, it wasn't until she joined the Michigan National Guard in 2012 that Adams learned about budgeting, saving, and investing for retirement. She stresses that being open to new opportunities and putting in a lot of hard work is possible to build a different life. And you got to think about this too, right? Also, National Guard... Like, think about it. She was doing all that stuff and a National Guard. Crazy. So growing up in low-income housing, being in a single-parent household, you can overcome all of that, she says. I was still able to go to college, start my businesses, and become successful. So Adams decided to launch her hair brand because she saw the opportunity to meet a a need in Grand Rapids. While attending the Grand Valley State University from 2009 to 2013, she routinely traveled 150 miles each way to Detroit to get her hair done and buy wigs and hair extensions that weren't available locally. Soon, she realized that there was money to be made in bringing in the Detroit salon experience and products closer to home. That is so smart. She began sourcing hair and selling wigs and extensions online in 2016. In the beginning, Adams hand-delivered the products to her clients, but by 2018, she made enough in sales to open a salon that doubles as a physical storefront for the wigs and extensions. Adams leases the space for $685 per month, that ain't too bad, and two hair sellers pay her a flat fee to rent out a chair to 
cut and style hair. That is so cool. So she's also getting rent for that too. However, as of January 21, Adams announced that she is transferring the salon lease to someone else and rebranding her hairline. She will still sell wigs and extensions online. I remember in 2017, for New Year's Eve, I was in my car pretty much all day just delivering hair, she says. I told myself, if I met a certain income, okay, I'm going to open up a storefront. Starting Destit Hair Collection inspired even more money-making ideas for Adams. Soon after, she launched an eponymous YouTube channel, which currently has around 10,000 subscribers and offers business and branding consultations to other fledgling entrepreneurs. Her popular videos include how to write a business plan, how to build credit, and how to brand a business. She also sells branded t-shirts, most likely through Teespring. So working a 9 to 5, it really restricts her income, she says, but as an entrepreneur, there's always the possibility of earning more money if you increase your output. I like having that control. I completely agree with you. Her job with the state provides her stability, but Adams wants to grow her side hustles. She is particularly passionate about teaching others how to build their own businesses and already offers free lessons to other black women in her community. I had a business mentor who would always say, once you find the thing that you will do for free, then that's the thing that you're going to end up doing for a lifetime, she says. I feel so fulfilled helping others with their businesses. See, that's pretty cool, right? Because her YouTube thing is something that she's purely passionate about. And like she even says, she would be willing to do it even if she never made money from it. That is super cool. And I hope she still like stays with that mindset. Obviously, try to make as much money as you can, right? And try to help as much money as, uh, try to help as much people as you can as well. But it's still pretty amazing. So here's a look at how Adams spends her money as of December 2020, right? So her phone is a $75 bill. Her subscriptions are $83. Utilities $140. Gas is $235. Insurance is $295. Food, $900. Food is kind of high. Like from what I see, that's kind of high. For like I think one person. Kinda high, right? Rent is thirteen forty. The savings and investments is fifteen hundred dollars. That's pretty awesome. Discretionary one thousand seven hundred fifteen. Which, let's see, what would that be? Uh, I guess entertainment, shopping, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, that's fine. Since it's basic. Well, the thing is, I'd like the savings and investments to be basically swapped with the discretionary, right? Because, I mean, hey, you could invest and save seventeen fifteen and spend 1500 but really you should only spend like 500 right? So, oh, okay, so discretionary is it includes entertainment, beauty, shopping, and other miscellaneous expenses. Okay, that's cool. Savings and investments includes liquid savings and 401k contributions. Her rent is for a two-bedroom apartment. Her food... Oh my goodness, that is something I do not like. So her food, which is the reason why it was so high at $900, it includes $150 for groceries, which is amazing. But she spends $750 for eating out. That is something I really don't like. That's a lot of money to be spending per month, 
on eating out. Insurance is $295, which includes health, dental, and car insurance. Gas is $235, honestly not that bad. Utilities, $140, which includes heat, electricity, and Wi-Fi. That's really not bad. Subscriptions are $83, which includes $20 for a car wash service, and $30 for the gym, $19 for Hulu, and $14 for grocery delivery. I do not like the grocery delivery one, but everything else seems kind of fine. Don't know why you would need a car wash service, though. The phone is $75, which I think is kind of high as well, and she probably needs to go to, like, Metro PCS or something. So Adams rents to a two-bedroom apartment in Grand Rapids, but plans to buy a house nearby soon with a VA loan. Now, personally, unless she's disabled, there's not really a good it's not really a good idea to use a VA loan because apparently VA loans are one of the worst loans that anyone could do unless they are a disabled veteran. Because there's just too many fees with it, so it's probably better to just go a traditional route. While she still has around $44,000 in student loans from undergrad and made monthly payments before her loans were put on pause because of the coronavirus, one of the benefits of joining the Army is that it also pays a percentage of her debt through its student loan repayment program. That is pretty awesome. So in a few years, she hopes to qualify for the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program through her state job to pay off the remainder of their debt. Though Adams isn't much of a shopper, there is one item she allows herself to splurge on, Designer handbags. Oh, no. Oh, no. So specifically, Louis Vuitton. Though she also owns bags from Gucci, Savatoire, Ferragamo. Ferragamo? Like a frog-amo? Ferragamo? Tory, Birch, and Aldo. Like Jose Aldo. She budgets for one to two new additions to her collection each year, spending 4300 total in 2020. Oh, Oh, I mean, compared to her, like, yearly income, that's not bad, but, oh, oh, Lord. But even this one splurge is strategic, strategic, you can keep it for years, she says, and they also have a good resale value. Now, personally, if I just read this, I would not believe her, right? But then I saw a video of Jeffree Star with six figure handbags that are basically used as like investments like apparently people are crazy enough where these designer handbags are actually valuable assets to some people which to me i don't understand right it's a bag right to me every single designer bag looks like a brown bag from the grocery store that people use to like pull like a 22 inside it like, I don't understand designer bags at all. So Adams bought a used 2011 Mercedes-Benz E-Class in 2015 for $21,000 and paid it off in 2019. Though she has dreams of owning a Tesla, she admits it's nice not to have to worry about a car payment each month. I agree with that. You should definitely always buy a car in cash. Although she didn't do that, but she paid it off, which is a good thing. So before the coronavirus pandemic started, Adams traveled often, taking at least one international trip a year, including to China, Dubai, and Mexico, among other locales, which is pretty cool. While she still took some domestic business trips in 2020, most of the money she would have normally spent on travel, around $1,000 per month, went toward discretionary expenses like gifts and donations, 
and into her savings account. She currently has around $25,000 saved. Now, I gotta be honest. If you're making about $160,000 and you only have $25,000 saved, that is troubling, right? So that means you're spending a lot of your money, right? That means you're spending a lot of money on debt, which means you have a lot of debt. So I don't necessarily like this. Like, really, like realistically, if you're making $160,000 a year, you should be able to live. Like, you should literally get your living expenses to about $50,000, $60,000 easy, especially if you're like a single person potentially. And, well, actually, I don't think she's a single person. She has kids, right? Completely forgot about that. She has like three kids. But still... Right, I feel like you should still be able to live off of $60,000 because the average household income is about $55,000 and you could basically save and invest the $100,000. Like, I mean, obviously depending on what kind of lifestyle you want, but when you got student loan debt and potentially other debt, you should try to get your living expenses to the lowest amount possible because she has a really nice income. Like she has an amazing income. She basically has a doctor's income right now and there's no reason why you should not have money at this level so i didn't get the opportunity to travel while growing up so i feel like i'm playing catch up on seeing different places she says i really like to see how other cultures operate that said grand rapids will always be home in the next few years adams hopes to settle down in the area and focus on building up her savings and retirement accounts one day, she hopes to make enough from her side hustles to be able to quit her state job and be an entrepreneur full-time. I can see myself doing the things I'm doing now for the rest of my life, she says. It doesn't feel like work to me. Now, that's the coolest thing about this, right? Like, how cool is it that she could literally make money doing something that she loves to do? I think that's the best thing ever, Right? And I hope that her YouTube ends up blowing up and being super amazing. I hope that her salon, well, technically not her salon anymore, but like her online sales of her hair products, wigs, and all that does super well. Because technically the thing is, she could actually quit her job, right? Depending on, because I don't think that like budget thing is necessarily 100% correct, she should be able to actually live off of her income, right? Because the amount of money that she was making from her hair salon, right, was like around $80,000. You could live off of that pretty easily, right? Like, I mean, that's a really good income. And if she has like a husband or something, which I don't think she has, but if she does have someone, that's an added bonus of income there. So... I feel like she could actually do that right now if she really keeps her budget in check. But honestly, I would just keep doing what she's doing for like another year, pay off her student loans, and then she literally has nothing to pretty much worry about and could just do it at like a moment's notice and just like be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I don't got to work my state job anymore. I don't got to work for the man anymore. So that's my thoughts on it. If you want to learn how to master your money, go to 40inbox.com. Check out 40inbox.com to master your money. 
personal finance lessons and courses, and do you want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. Get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account. And automate your investing with Acorns down in the description below.